What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is host, producer, Tommy Gallagher of the Plus Shirt Podcast. It is Wednesday, April 22nd, and I am joined again by Mitch and Jack. Mitch, how we doing, man? How has uh, the last week been since our last episode? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, the weather's finally getting nice on Chicago. Get to go outside, enjoy it a little bit, and, uh, you know, spending some time grinding out some podcasts. So it's been been solid, man. Yeah, we've had a couple of uh, busy weeks here. Um, luckily, since we've uh, had the first couple drop, um, we've had some excitement around the team, and we've really been, uh, you know, pushing hard in the back end here to get some of these episodes ready for you guys. But, uh, Jack, tell me, uh, what have you been up to last week since we spoke? Oh, I've been good, man. Um, trying to get outside. Like Shu said, the weather's been pretty good. Um, but, I mean, we're pretty limited. So just counting down the days so we can get back to life as we know it. And um, I look forward to this. That's for sure. Look forward to chatting with you guys and seeing someone else and uh, some some different faces. That's for sure. Yeah, I got to say, I mean, um, we're lucky to have started this when we did, I guess, uh, keep us busy. Um, I don't know, I guess what I would have done without this and, uh, you know, put a lot of my my time outside of work into to this podcast and everything. So uh, not to be sappy, but gratefully for you boys and, and grateful to have this to look forward to. But um, kind of want to jump into it. We got some updates on the team and everything since we last spoke to you guys as the listeners um, welcoming on. Trevor Dunn as our graphics designer. Um, Trevor's been putting out some sweet um, content for you guys on social media and such with the baseball cards and helping me alongside with the videos and everything. Uh, really excited to have Trevor on the team. What do you guys say? Team money. Team man. Shu and I yeah. were talking uh, earlier in the week and we were just saying like if it was up to Mitch and I when we originally had this idea that it would just be like a bunch of tweets. So... <laughs> we wouldn't have had a clue. So thanks thanks to you and thanks to Trav. It's a huge help. I mean, that's yeah, probably yeah. what we're going to ramp up in the future here is social media. Um, we've been excited enough on the back end to, to throw together these episodes and such. And, and now we're kind of looking to to you guys and ourselves to to really grow this this episode. So, um, you know, as we listen today, if you guys wouldn't mind throwing us a five stars on the episode, subscribing to the podcast if you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts and uh, just kind of keeping up to date with it on Spotify as well. Um, whatever you guys can do to really help us grow and share along what we're doing is greatly appreciated. And and we really couldn't, you know, be more grateful and, and gracious to have, you know, Trevor in our presence. He's, he's helped us a lot with what we're doing and what our vision has been to do um, just that, grow the podcast. And, and we're really, you know, lucky to um, have his assistance on the back end. But uh, yeah, five five stars if it's good. If we suck ass, give us a, give us a one. Let us know. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't give Actually, us any pity. Don't give us any pity fives. We want <laughs> we want to know the hard way. If I suck at this, give me a one. Maybe write in first before you get absolutely shit on. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're recording this once again on Monday, um, and it's going to be exciting because the next five weeks going forward, or now four weeks going forward, we got something to look forward to on TV. And that's the Michael Jordan documentary. Um, I guess we never really said it on the podcast to begin with, but we're all Chicago guys, all four of us um, grown up Chicago sports fans. And I assume I'm speaking for these guys as well as, as um, me, myself, a Bulls fan, Um, you know, Jack, Mitch, I'll start with Jack. What's your kind of first thoughts on the whole documentary? How fired up were you last night? Well, it was great. It, I, the best part about it was that it was something to look forward to in the sports world for the first time in a while. Um, but I think it was cool just to 
like I was born in 94. So while the Bulls were in the peak of their dynasty was like, I was still kind of too young to really get familiar with how dominant they were. So all I really heard growing up was stories. And then obviously everyone that's a sports fan knows how dominant, you know, Jordan is and that, um, you know, that dynasty was so just an unreal, like opportunity to have all this, not just like a documentary about them, but all like the behind the scenes footage and you start to get like the real stories. And I just love that Jordan got out in front of it and was like, look, people are going to think I'm an absolute prick once they see this. Cause I think that's the best. Like that guy did whatever it took to win. He didn't care if he liked him, uh, but everyone respected him. So I'm, you know, I'm not that I have anything else to do, but I'm booked, uh, you know, eight to 10 the next four Sundays. That's for sure. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, extremely fired up for the document. It, it, just like Jack said, I mean, obviously it's something to look forward to every Sunday. Um, but same thing, you know, born in that era, but not actually getting a chance to watch Jordan and understand how great he was, um, you know, at the age we were at, it, it's really cool to have something uh, that I can kind of connect like my dad's words of, of talking about how great Jordan really was and everyone's, you know, arguments on him being the greatest player ever. So it's cool to finally get to see some like live footage interaction with his teammates. Um, obviously like NBA greats getting on there, like Michael, uh, who's on there? Uh, Magic Johnson was on there. Larry Bird Bird was on there. Yeah, there was a ton of guys on there just in that first episode. Isaiah Thomas, that's right. He made he made an appearance. So like hearing NBA greats, um, you know, speak about him is really cool. And I also like how they took the angle of like the whole, you know, 97, 98 team, not just Jordan, like talking about diving into like Scottie Pippen's background and the whole deal with his salaries and stuff, I think is a cool take as well, Um, because you always hear just about like obviously Jordan and there was role players, but you don't really realize how great Scottie Pippen was as well. And some of the other players on the team. So it's just, it's really fun. Um, it's exciting. Just like Jack said, uh, getting to know more about the fine details of the whole story, not really understanding it at our age is really cool. Um, being a Bulls fan, you know, growing up my whole life, the Derrick Rose era was, was insane. And I can only imagine you know, what it was like during that time. So it's pretty cool to put those pieces together and and get a little bit of a picture of what it was like during that time. Well, dude, and I think like one of the best parts about watching this now in an era of social media um, is how much like exposure beyond the documentary you get to it and stuff. And like people talked about Scottie Pippen and his salary and everything. I didn't realize a, how much he made when he was on the Bulls that he was getting shafted, but he ended up making it more than Michael Jordan mm-hmm. in his career as a whole. Obviously, the NBA was shifting a little bit more towards being progressive with contracts and everything, but that's you know no disregard to Scottie Pippen's talent. Like he obviously deserved what he was paid. Um, but I was reading some stories about all the different ad runs and ad reads that Scottie Pippen was doing on the side during that time to just make even, you know, more with what he was as a figure in the, in the, you know, in the crowd in Chicago and such. And, and it's, it's funny because I'm sure there's so many stories even beyond what the documentary can tell that, you know, people are able to share on social media and such. So kind of lucky to get both sides of that. And I'm glad that they kind of waited out with that as they, you know, have been sitting on this footage forever. But um, yeah, we did you, did you guys hear the story about like when Jordan decided to have it be produced? No, but I know no. he was like waiting forever on it. So what what yeah. is that whole story? So 
before Adam Silver was in his current role, he was in uh, some sort of position where his job was to like get the tag the NBA, you know, kind of showcase the star players of the league. So um, once Jordan's career was over, or actually no, before they decided to do this whole thing, Silver went up to Jordan and was like, look, just like an agreement between you and me, until we get the green light from you, no one's ever going to see this footage. So they had this agreement forever and like 20 years go by. And I think it was on the day that uh, LeBron was having his parade after they beat um, the Warriors, Jordan started kind of having a feel that people were going to start talking more and more about how LeBron was getting closer to how good Jordan was. And then and then uh, <laughs> Jordan got in touch with Silver and was like, yeah, you guys can go ahead. And <laughs> Jordan's like, hey, hold on a sec. Say, say, say no more. This shit's getting released. It's getting on last night was posting about his new damn show on NBC or whatever and and (laughs) doing whatever he could to take away from it. But nonetheless, we're going to get some great content with that over the next week or so. And and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about it on these intros and everything. But really just wanted to bring light to that. Obviously, all I think it was 3.6 million viewers on on that documentary, the most watched documentary in ESPN history. But uh, um, obviously, there's a lot more to be talked about with that. And and we will continue to down the road. But um, before we do so, um, or I guess as we start to move forward along our segment here um, wanted to bring a new thing onto the show as well. A whole lot of new stuff going on in this intro. Um, so bear with us guys. But uh, one of the things that we mentioned as a team was just kind of bringing the audience into our show, um, telling a little bit of their stories. Obviously um, there's guests we have on the show, but there's some one-offs and stuff like that that are hilarious and um, opened it up to the audience to share some of the, the content that they've had playing in their days and uh, got some funny responses and um not sure how you guys want to go about this, but I can read you know one or one or two of these and uh, react to them. Or do you guys got anything to say about that first and foremost, and kind of share your take on the the whole idea and what we're doing with that? No, I think it's good. I think uh, so. Just to just to clarify, um, we are going back and forth telling stories about college baseball and pro ball and some of like the rougher things with bus trips and bad meals and things like that. So what we did was we put up on our social media page to have some of the people that listen write in and tell us like their best story. So um, all the DMs went to Tommy and then Tommy uh, is going to pick a couple or all of them if we don't get a lot that week and, um, you know, share some of the good ones. So go ahead. Yeah, this one's running a little bit long. So we'll just do one for now because I think this one A is hilarious. Um, just let it be known too, these are all anonymous. Um, so feel free to write in whatever. But uh, here, I'm just going to fire away at this one. So starts out in Juco, our bus ran out of gas on the highway and the coach of the team was driving. And in this was taking place in the middle of the night, middle of nowhere, no cell service or anything. And um, like I said, the bus ran out of gas. So these guys are in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. God knows wherever on a trip, no way to contact anyone, no way to know where the hell they have to go. And they had to get out of the bus and take turns pushing it for the next two miles until the nearest (laughs) gas station. (laughs) That's great. Sim's going to eat that one up. (laughs) So talk about some guys probably in the middle of the night um out there you're probably worn out after a game and all you want to do is get back and your bus out of gas and now you have to go push the damn thing yeah i mean it's i I think initially it's like 
you get that spark of like what's going on type deal. And then when you're told to push the push the bus, I could just see 36 guys getting super fired up to do it. I <laughs> just like obviously like pissed off after a series. Like you're ready to go to bed. Like you're tired. Everyone's like in a bad mood at the end of the the travel week. But like something like that happens, everyone kind of rallies around. That's totally one of those things too, where like the first five minutes you're like telling yourself that it's not going to be that bad, and you guys will be out of there and like you know five or 10 minutes. And then next thing you know, you're just pushing a 56 foot bus to, to wherever you're going. <laughs> Dude. I mean, we grew up in the Midwest. I mean, we've had cars die, cars die in parking spots. Like I pushed a car out of parking spot and that's not bad, but I can't imagine a bus with like six guys on each side of you, you know, pushing <laughs> this damn thing two miles. Like you had to push a car like 15 feet. Like I feel like that's gotta be a lot worse than it is. And so here to tack on even more to the story Earlier that day, they were um, up by four with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, and they blew the lead. <laughs> so oh, yeah, see that's that's salt in the wound. Then I mean, if you come off a bad loss like that, it's just you're getting you're getting kicked down. So you're guys getting are pissed down. at each other, and you're probably already ripped a new one by the coach, and now you have to go do this for the next two hours or two yeah. Months. I mean, it can't make a Sunday travel day much worse. I literally remember like getting off buses from like Youngstown state, like the six hour grinder on Sunday. We just lost two to the Gwyns. They kicked their ass in Youngstown. Naturally we played in snow. The field was probably frozen and just being like so pissed off at everything. Like people would just like casually ask you how you're doing or like try to spark. And it was just like, dude, I don't want to talk to you ever. <laughs> like, Just yeah. let me go home. And well, any, so every, every, uh, Every player can relate. As soon as you get on the bus, you pull up Google Maps, you see how long it is, and you just start counting down like the minutes until you're in like you know the general area of where you're going. Yeah, bus like trips thirty. They're terrible, dude. Thirty minutes later, you're checking again. You keep checking Google Maps. Nothing changes. It's it's brutal. It's it's rough. But hey, man, can't say I ever pushed a bus down bus down the highway. So they got me got me beat on that one. <laughs> Fired up fired up yeah i mean that's just like one of several we got and is our best one and uh i don't want to take away from the story at all but um also didn't want to keep the listeners waiting because we do have an awesome episode coming up here um we're inviting on rachel balkovich to this uh week's show and um rachel's got an unreal history in the game um played division one softball um coached for several teams in the mlb and is now the first mlb hitting coach in um you know as a female in an organization so guys want to touch on that a little bit and, and the experience talking to her and, and getting to know you know someone that really has paved the way for females in sports yeah dude i mean it was it was unbelievable um obviously hearing her story growing up and kind of what took her to get to where she's at um, was really cool. But also hearing that she's, uh, you know, feel like she hasn't accomplished everything that she wants and she wants to keep pushing forward. I don't want to dive too much into it because um, it's a great episode, but uh, really cool to get to meet her. Um, awesome, awesome content. Yeah, she was great. Like you said, don't want to don't want to spoil it. So have at it. Yeah. Well, guys, I uh, appreciate actually hang on. I got something to say. What do you got, Jack? Jack's got something to say. Say yeah. it, Jack. What's up? Um, so I think our episode last week with Sim was was pretty well received. Um, so I went back and I listened to it, and I realized that when we were talking with Sim about there being a lot of good junior college programs around the country, it kind of sounded like I was dogging my alma mater. No, you were. a little bit. 
Tom, actually, Tom, go ahead and play the audio clip here. <laughs> right? I mean, we played for a Division One program. There are there are tons of JUCOs around the country that would have whooped the shit out of us. So when I listened to it, I realized that I misspoke and it made me want to puke. Um, I mean, I love UIC. I love everything about UIC. I talk about UIC way too much. So I have some stats for you. First off, here's a little bit about UIC. First off, our home field's Curtis Granderson Stadium at Les Miller Field, which is a beautiful $12 million ballpark with the Chicago skyline as a backdrop. The Flames have six regional appearances, with two of those being the last three seasons, and they've had 42 guys sign pro contracts while playing under head coach Mike D. Hang on. I'm not, I'm not done yet. In 2017, which was mine and shoes last year there, shout out to the 2017 team, we had 39 wins, which is tied for the most in program history. And we would have set the record if we didn't play in a bad weather state where we had ga- games banged every week. Um, number one defense in the nation with a fielding percentage of 984. Team ERA of 2.65, which was a school record and ranked second in the nation. 11 shutouts in the season, which was another school record. Thank you very much. And we had a bunch of dog team, and we had 13 guys from that roster go on to sign pro contracts. So there are a lot of good JUCOs out there, but I'm a lifer, and I'm riding with my flames any day of the week. Fire up. This episode is brought to you by Goat Baseball. Head over to GoatBaseball.com and use code CHIRP15 for 15% off your next purchase. All right, everybody. Uh, we are now joined by Rachel Balkovitz, um, who is a minor league hitting coach in the Yankees organization. And before we get going, Rachel, tell us a little bit what is the uh, most unique way you've been staying busy during the COVID-19 quarantine? The most unique way? I do a lot of weird shit, so I, I mean... <laughs> so, uh, I mean, probably, like, my workouts are pretty unique, I, I would say. Um, I do a lot of pool work and, like, breathing work. So, um, like, for example, I take a walk in the morning and I hold my breath while I'm walking. Whoa. Uh, that's pretty unique. It's kind of intense. <laughs> Not yeah. all the time, you know, but I, like, <laughs> it's, it's basically just, like, CO2 tolerance stuff. So I'm trying to, like, basically condition my body to um be able to like tolerate co2 in my lungs or in my in my body really longer so i hold my breath so like when i'm walking i just take a normal walk but i'm every like 20 paces i'm holding my breath for 20 paces and then i breathe normally and then i hold my breath um and then i do these pool workouts that are kind of weird but basically i take dumbbells in the water and like swim underwater with the dumbbells so i learned that learned that from a um guy named Laird Hamilton, who's a famous surfer. So I do those workouts. Um, I mean, I'm, I just, I have lots of weird habits, but I think those are just like a couple of them. So that's unique. Yeah. Well, now that you've embarrassed all of us, we can get going here. <laughs> yeah, right. I thought, I thought my, I thought my 45 minute at home, my push up, you know, pull up circuit was, uh, was pretty good, but now I'm going to have to go re- rewrite my programming. I'm just going to oh. hold my breath and walk around my apartment after we're done here. <laughs> I, yeah. I love, um, I never have problem with alone time. And so people are texting me like, how are you doing? All cooped up. And I'm just over here, like in the stream of consciousness. Like I just, 
you know, being by myself is like, I, I'm a very social person, but I also really value solitude. So mm -hmm. it's a good trait to have. Um, well, it's, you know, it's a weird time for everybody. So again, we appreciate you coming on. Um, and what we kind of wanted to do here was just have it be a blank slate and go back to, you know, the unique story that you have. Um, and we just kind of want to learn about how you got to the spot where you're at. Um, so if we go back, uh, what do you say? We go back to post-college or um, where did it all kind of start? Um, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people have heard my post-college story. <sighs> we can start at the very beginning. You know, if you want to talk about like, I don't really talk too much about like my childhood because I think it really started then. If you want to talk about like how I'm able to exist in an environment like I exist in right now, I often like think, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you're, you, you're the first woman to do this, you're the first woman to do that. And oh, you played softball in college, but like this started way before. Like I was, I was a very like, I was an outlier of a child. And um, my young experiences, I think, really set me up to be res resilient enough to get through the discrimination, to get through some of the tough times I had getting into professional baseball. So by the time I was, like, discriminated against and that whole story about uh, changing my name on my resume to a man's name and all this stuff that is out there, like, the ability to, to get through those times started when I was really young. So I would like to start earlier, if that's okay. Let's do Absolutely. it. Do you want me to just go, just roll with it? You want me to just sure. go? For it? Absolutely, go for it. Let it rip. So to give you an idea of like who I was as a kid, I at the age of eleven or whatever age you are in fourth grade, I we did like the what do you want to be when you grow up assignment, and I said I wanted to be the first female kicker in the NFL. Ooh, awesome. Now, I just, I wish I could go back and like visit myself when I was 11 and be like, hey, where'd you get that idea? Cause like, like, where did you just come up with that out of thin air? Because not only did I want to play in the NFL, which is a pretty big feat, but I said I wanted to be the first female to do that. So, so when people are like, oh, did you, you know, are, are you surprised or did you this come out? Like, no, I've always been like this since I was really young. I've always been wanting to kind of take it upon myself to be out front. And that was, you know, that was like a really prime example. But even like when I was 12, I was the girl at softball practice that was like, hey, everyone, bring your running shoes because I'm going to lead conditioning workouts after practice. Like when I was 12, I don't even like, how do you get that way, you know? And then as a high school player, I was like the girl who was, the coach would give the talk after the game and then the coach would leave and I would give the my talk to the team after the game. So these are things that I developed at a really young age. And then like, as I've been on these podcasts or like been interviewed, you just start to reflect on like, man, how did I really get that way? And it, it all stems from, I think my parents and my dad, you know, a lot of it is when I was, when I was really young, my dad, would take me to the gym and I would beg him to take me. And I, I don't think it was that I wanted to go to the gym. I think it was what, that I wanted to hang out with my dad. But what's really important and a good takeaway for everyone, but also just like guys who are going to have daughters or do have daughters is like 
he didn't say no, you know? So I was like this little 10 year old girl and I was like, dad, I want to go to the gym with you. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I just following around my dad and doing whatever, you know, I have no idea what I did for God's sake, but he didn't say no. And he just took me and I'm pretty sure I was the only 10 year old girl in the free weight section, you know, doing what I was doing. <laughs> but he didn't say no. And he just, he just let me, you know, and then, and then they just let me play the sports I wanted to play. They just, they supported me. And then you go into thinking like my high school coaches who were all men, I had all male high school coaches and same thing where I was basically like the player coach, you know, I was like, they would coach and then I would chime in and say my piece and whatever. And they never stopped me. Like they could have easily been like, Hey, shut up. You know, like I'm trying to do my thing. <laughs> But they just never stopped me. They were always really supportive of, like, I think, fostering this, like, leadership gene that I had. And so they were always really supportive of that. And it was men, you know. And so I had, I had like, some – my mom's awesome, and she's such a strong lady. Like, I know everyone says that, but my mom is, like, strong. Like, she is very strong-willed. She is never afraid to share her opinion. Uh, never afraid to stand up for herself. So I had her in my house. Um, and then I also think about like when I was 12 was when the 1999 World Cup for women's soccer happened and like Brandy Chastain ripped her shirt off. And like, you know, you guys are probably too young for that. I don't know. How no, I remember that one. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I was hugely influenced by that 1999 World Cup team. I remember Mia Hamm and, and even some of the the lesser known characters like Michelle Akers and Brianna Scurry and all of these women who at the time women's sports weren't on TV. So like that 1999 women's world cup, I think is, was an iconic moment for many reasons, not just Brandi Chastain ripping her shirt off and looking like a badass, but like that was women's sports weren't on TV. It was them and like Serena, you know, and then coming around in high school, I remember like, Kat Osterman and Jessica Mendoza and like those were characters but I, I just had this epiphany the other day because ESPN came to my house to interview me and Jessica Mendoza was interviewing me which by the way is I was super fangirling that Jessica Mendoza is interviewing me. <laughs> I'm like can I interview you you're like my hero she said she said oh did you like grow up watching baseball like what's your favorite baseball team and I was like no, I grew up watching you. Like, I didn't grow up <laughs> baseball. I grew up watching softball and women's sports that were being televised probably at a really pivotal time in my life, you know, when I was in high school. So that was a really long way of answering your original question. Is like, what's my story? And my story is, like, I, I think for me to even get to a point where I even – thought to myself, hmm, I could be a strength and conditioning coach in professional baseball. And now for me to think to myself, hmm, I, I could be a hitting coach in professional baseball. For me to even get to that point, I had to have male mentors early on. And also just like society had to be ready for that. And so you can trace this all the way back to like Title IX, 1972. Like mm -hmm. there's there's things, this is like a huge wave and I'm just like this droplet in the wave that's that's coming or that has been brewing, like, right? It's been under the surface for so long 
And then all of a sudden you're seeing NFL hire women coaches, NBA hire women mm -hmm. coaches. Like baseball is kind of late to the party and I'm part of that. But this has been happening for so long, like women's sports being televised and just women in sports, you know, being more popularized. And then all of a sudden I'm hired as the hitting coach for the New York Yankees. Like this is not out of nowhere, not for me personally, and also not for mm -hmm. sports. Like this is a, this is a long time coming, um, starting personally from when I said I wanted to be the first kicker in the NFL <laughs> and then colliding with like, at the same time, colliding with society really changing and and being open to the idea of women being in the dugout, women being in the clubhouse and on the bus and those things, which I am, it's, it's I'm just benefiting from a lot of people that have come before me and a lot of people having open minds to that and also me just being a psycho. So all those, you know, <laughs> perfect storm of things. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Beginning absolutely. of the story. Well, the first uh, one of the things that kind of stand, stands out to me just about the entire story. First off, I mean, if you still want to kick in the NFL, um, you know, our Soldier Field right down the street from uh, from our, our apartment. So, I mean, if you want to come down and kick for the Bears, we more than uh, oh my God, more than happily sign you uh, to a contract there, because I'd, I'd much rather see you knocking down field goals out there than what we've had in the last couple uh, last couple of years. But. Um, I'm about kind of going, I'm about two blocks away from the <laughs> location of the double doink, so <laughs> yeah. no, no doubt. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that kind of stands out to me, and it's actually, I mean, with your history at Driveline, and I think Kyle, um, gosh, I may pronounce his last name wrong, but Body or Bodie? I, I want to say it's Bodie, correct? Oh. Yeah, okay. Um, Kyle Bodie had something on Twitter the other day bringing up the uh, the Moneyball quote, and I was actually just watching the movie the other day my girlfriend never seen it um wanted to show it to her and they talk about the uh the quote at the end about the, yeah i know tell me about it um she's gonna she's gonna hate me for bringing this up in the podcast too but uh um the uh the quote at the end talking about like the first one through the wall and i'm gonna butcher the shit out of the quote but the first one through the wall always kind of gets bloody um is this something that you can kind of relate to or has there been some like backlash to kind of being one of those first people to kind of um, transition into something that, like you said, we're kind of like untapped waters. We, we just haven't been there yet. Um, has it come with some backlash outside of just like the, the whole story with your resume along those lines? Well, to tie in all of the things that you just said, including Moneyball. When I first had the inkling that I wanted to be in professional baseball, I was in my master's degree at LSU and I was a graduate assistant strength and conditioning coach. And like alongside that, I was getting my master's degree in sports administration. And I was in my professor's office. I'll never forget this moment. It's like seared in my memory. I was in my professor's office and I saw the book Moneyball on his shelf. And I knew what the book was, but I hadn't read it yet. This was 2010. And I said to my professor, I said, hey, do you mind if I borrow that book? I really want to get into professional baseball. And I've heard, you know, it's a really good read. And he laughed at me and he said, you want to get into professional baseball doing what? And I said, I want to be a, a strength and conditioning coach in professional baseball. And he said, oh, well, you'll be able to do that. You'll just have to get a sex change. And I said, Thanks for your input. Do you mind if I borrow the book? <laughs> so, I, 
So I borrowed the book and I read it and I, it just was like so impactful and I related to it on many levels. I think everyone has like a money ball story. Like where were you had <laughs> money ball the first time? <laughs> and now I, now 10 years later, I read it again, just when I was at driveline and I literally like cried reading the book. Cause I could relate so much to Billy Bean and just him like being the first one through the door. Mm -hmm. to answer your question is like yes <laughs> it, it's it was um it was and it is still difficult I think it it was more difficult than it is now and sometimes I hear women telling their stories now of how they were hired and there is no story it's just like oh I applied and I was hired and I'm like what you were like whoa that's crazy <laughs> Because when I applied, I was blatantly discriminated against and just ignored completely. So that's how I know things are changing for the better. Um, but yeah, 100% when I first was trying to get in, I was openly discriminated against. And when I say openly, like, um, I can tell this story long or short if you want. But like, basically, I had applied for a bunch of jobs and got nothing back. And at that point, I had had this like really great resume for a young person graduate assistant strength coach at LSU, go Tigers, they're like one of the best athletic departments in the country, like, just saying, but no, I was like, <laughs> like, seriously, at the time, they were really great, baseball and softball in the College World Series, football was 13-0, and 0. like, I mean, just this electric culture, I had interned at Arizona State, I had interned for Los Tigres de Lise in the Dominican Republic, I had interned for the St. Louis Cardinals, I had interned for Athletes Performance or Exos, I was a Division One softball player, I had this great resume for a young person, and I just was not getting any callbacks for for a job in professional baseball. Finally get a call from an organization. Long story short, I interviewed with them. They said, yeah, yeah, we're gonna hire you. Uh, call you in a couple of days, never heard from them. I was like, that's weird. You said they were gonna, you were gonna hire me. Several weeks later, the guy finally called back and said, hey, you know, I just wanna tell you the truth. I'm really sorry, but we're not gonna hire you. And, and um, it's because the administration won't let me hire a woman in this role. And I was just shocked that he was, said that because it's illegal, number one. Yeah. <laughs> but I was so I was so relieved because he said he told me the truth, and I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, like I'm doing the right things. It's just my gender. But but he like then proceeded to tell me. He said, well, you know, it gets worse. And I was like, well, how could this possibly get worse? You just told me you were discriminated against me. <laughs> I said, well, I you know I took so long to get back to you because I called around to the eight to 10 other teams that you applied for. And they all said the same thing that they had received your resume, but they can't hire you because you're a woman. And I was like, great thumbs up emoji to that. <laughs> so that was my first shot at getting into baseball. And I was, I think I was pretty naive to that point where I just thought like, Oh, you know, I have this great resume and really great resume. Actually, I spoke some Spanish. I had been to the Dominican, like, over-the-top good resume for a baseball internship, mind you, not even like a full-time right. position. Mm -hmm. um, and I just couldn't even get like a low-level, I'm talking about rookie league position. So from that to now, again, like I said, I talked to women and they're like, yeah, I applied and uh, I got hired. And I'm like, it was that easy? Like, what? <laughs> so I just reflect back on like, okay, I was one I was one of the first, not the first woman to ever work in baseball, but one of the first and definitely first full-time strength coach. And it was hard. It was hard to get in. 
it was hard once I got in, you know, just because you signed the piece of paper doesn't mean everyone's happy that you're there, players and coaches. I just reflect, though, on, like, Jackie Robinson. When he first signed, like, to be on the Major League team for the Dodgers, his own teammates signed a petition and sent it to Branch Rickey and said, I will not play with a black person. Right, right. <laughs> it's crazy. Imagine. Just because Jackie Robinson signed the piece of paper and shook the hands with, with Branch Rickey mm-hmm. doesn't mean that the, the discrimination ends or the hatred ends or the, the lack of acceptance ends. It just means that, okay, we've taken the first step to get everyone acclimated to this situation that is going to continue to happen more often. And so me signing up to be a coordinator for the St. Louis Cardinals, a minor league coordinator was the first step, but for sure was not, was not the last and it's still not done. You know, there's, I was just thinking about today cause I get so many messages and it's like, Oh, I'm so glad you broke this barrier. And I'm like, yeah, but there's a lot of work to do. And if you follow yeah. me on social media on Instagram, at least like I have a hashtag that I always use. It says I'm not done yet. And that's what it really means. It's not, mm-hmm. not I'm not done yet. I got, I personally have more work to do. It's I'm not done yet. I have more work to do in this for other people, for women, for everyone. And I just like, you see it in the cracks, right? There's a tweet that slips through and it's this like hateful tweet about women don't belong in baseball. And this is a disgrace for the Yankees and blah, blah, blah. So I just know that there's so much more work to do. And just because I'm here and just because I'm wearing pinstripes doesn't mean that the job's done. Yeah, I agree. Uh, before we go away from um, LSU, quick question. Have you ever met Coach O or Ray Baker? No, I haven't. <laughs> After my do, time. Do you, know, do you know the Ray Baker story? No. I, I, it's hilarious. So, I mean, you know how Coach O is when he has his interviews and everything. And he was, he was talking about how, I think someone asked him the question, like, how do you guys train in the heat? Or how do you get used to the heat? And he said that every day he, at high noon, he goes outside and he walks, he walks with the sun and he called the sun Ray Baker. And that's like his best friend. (laughs) He just like has built this bond with the sun where now it's good to him. It's good to his program. And they're like, it's all one and the same. So, Oh my um, God. It's like, so LSU. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. There LSU was like one of my, one of my most favorite times in my career and it's where I was already like high intensity but I think it just solidified my views on culture and just because like I said when I was there it was just like everyone was winning lots of teams were very successful during the time that I was not because of me but just so I got to witness these like extremely elite level cultures and how they operate what they're what they're saying, what the messaging is from the coaches, what the strength and conditioning is like. What I mean, just the expectations are so high. And you know, what would you do if your job depended on winning? And and I got the answer because they yeah. like, like there was so many teams, top twenty five teams. Women's basketball was in the Sweet Sixteen. I was working with them. Baseball and softball, like I said, College World Series. Both the men's and women's tennis teams were top twenty five. So. It was just this electric environment, and I just I appreciate it so much. It's huge for me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
I mean, Jack and I had talked prior, but obviously it's it's an unbelievable um, story. And it's interesting to kind of hear you talk about how, you know, you're not done yet, <laughs> which is, uh, I think, in any athlete's life, there's always that little bit of like aspiration that's always there. Like you always want more. Um, and it's really interesting and, and cool to hear um, because obviously you've already influenced a lot of lives up to this point. Um, but you're still pushing through and you're still, um, you know, helping the baseball community, not only for women, but the community in general. And it, it's really remarkable. And I'm sitting here looking at the uh, your LinkedIn profile right now. And I'm like looking at everything on here. And I'm like, is this is this girl running for president or like getting a minor, a minor, a minor league? Like you're talking about an internship hitting job or a job with a, a professional organization. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this girl's done just about anything you can in the business <laughs> in, the, in the last six years. So um, obviously uh, it, it, it's, it's come to a great person that's put in the time prior. Um, but it's cool to hear that you're still kind of pushing forward. Um, I'm, I'm kind of interested. I mean, Jack and I had talked, like, obviously your story's phenomenal, but we kind of want to give you like some time here to talk, like talk baseball, to talk hitting, to talk biomechanics, stuff along those lines. Um, so I kind of want to make the transition into how's it been for you moving from like a strength and conditioning type role now into more of an on-field baseball role. Not First saying that strength and conditioning isn't baseball because we all know it's it's an extreme part of it, but more the uh, on on-field stuff with the hitting department. Yeah, but were you guys pitchers or position players? Both pitchers. <laughs> both pitchers yeah we're we're not we're not athletes we just threw that hard <laughs> I, I, I didn't think you said it you were thinking it you were thinking it um i well, had a pretty good fungo just there's just, <laughs> there's just more there's just more position players that take to the weight room i think than pitchers but that's neither here nor there um yeah just i mean for me coaching is coaching and so when people are i think that the world sees this as this huge leap of like epic proportions and I'm like I'm just still coaching like I'm just I I don't mm -hmm. feel much different from that aspect I don't feel much different than when I was with strength and conditioning however what I will say is it's been almost like easier I'll put that in air quotes for the listeners um it's been easier because as you pitchers know I basically went to work every day as a strength coach in professional baseball, and I had to, like, pull teeth to get people to do what they didn't want to do, which was right. conditioning or weightlifting <laughs> or whatever. And I had to wake guys up early on the road, and they go, you know. So, oh, gym bus. Oh, yeah. Oh, the worst. Reddit <laughs> gym bus. So, you know, and there's – I loved my job, but now it's like, I didn't even expect this, but now it's like guys are coming to me like, hey, Rachel, can we get some extra work in? And I'm like, oh, you actually want <laughs> what my job is? Like, it's amazing. It's so, it's like so easy. So that aspect has been, has been great. Um, I think from a more like technical perspective right now, I'm doing, now I'm coaching in the cages. And again, it's not that different because in the same way that I would teach a, a hinge in the deadlift, I'm teaching now a hinge in the swing. Mm -hmm. and like the, the human body acts the same, whether it's in the cages or it's in the weight room, the, the body doesn't know the difference. Like, you know, the difference cognitively, but for me, I've been coaching the human body for 10 years. And so 
Now I'm just coaching it in a different space into a different thing. Now, so the biomechanics is just very natural to me and like being able to like just just to see the body and like see the differences between swings and see a correction that might need to be made that's all very natural um and also i had excellent mentors with the astros so when i was there as a strength coach my my best friends actually were the hitting coaches and the pitching coaches even and so i just i knew their philosophy inside and out in the hitting department and so I'm just, I'm just not unfamiliar with those concepts. And in fact, Dylan Lawson, my current boss with the Yankees, was a hitting coach with the Astros, which is how mm-hmm. I even kind of ended up here. And he also has a background in strength and conditioning as well. So he values that highly. So all of that's very natural. I think um, one of the things that's been awesome for me and it is going to be a learning curve is like hitting is not just the swing and the body. It's also like making a decision of whether or not to swing when you've got a guy who's playing a 98 mile per hour fastball with a nasty breaking ball that's you know 20 20 miles per hour slower so the actual like swing decisions and eye tracking and those things like that is i think the hardest part about hitting if i just Mm -hmm. do it it's like you can have a great swing but if you're swinging at a breaking ball in the dirt your swing looks like shit so your the swing Mm -hmm. goes like the swing is only just a portion of it the mental aspect of the game is actually the thing that I'm just like refreshing my memory of because the last time I thought about these things was when I was playing 10 years ago. So mm-hmm. it's like that feeling and just like understanding, okay, what pitch should I expect next for the hitter? I'm saying like when I'm watching a game and I'm evaluating in a bat or I'm like trying going to try to coach a guy in a bat, what am I expecting here? What has he done for the other hitters? Like, What's he done lefties versus righties? Like, what's what does his stat sheet look like? So, mm-hmm. just this the strategy at the plate is is the biggest like learning curve or the thing that I need to like remember from my right. own experience. Um, but also, I did a bunch of the eye tracking. I don't know how much you guys dove into this, but I did a lot of um, eye tracking research at Driveline. That's actually what I so I went to the Netherlands. Um, last year to do a second master's degree in biomechanics and statistics. And I did my research in eye tracking for hitters. And so um, the whole swing decisions part of it is something that I actually studied in my research. It doesn't make me great in practical application, but it's something that I'm really familiar with and was able to dive into at driveline, uh, which was fascinating. So I don't know, there's a, I mean, again, another lengthy answer, but just being thorough, like the, the biomechanics, the body side of it, is very natural and not that much of a transition. Um, the game strategy, like hitting and making those decisions and how to get better at that and how to practice that is is something that I need to get up to speed on. And, and um, I don't know if that's easy for any coach, really. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, basically, I mean, what it kind of sounds like that, that mechanical piece, obviously the biomechanics piece, but also the approach, the mental game of the game is tough to teach as well. And it's a combination, um, whether you're pitching defensively, offensively, it's a combination of both. Um, and I'm curious, like, do you find, I guess you're, you're, you're working with, uh, what, what group are you working with? Or I mean, what, uh, team within the organization are you working with? I'll I'll be with the GCL and I'm, I'm going to be back and forth to the Dominican. Okay. So okay. even in, 
even in the GCL, you have like a younger population of people, more high school guys, um, kind of those later sign type seniors. Um, do you find that like players at this age are a little bit more receptive to the biomechanic piece? Um, it seems like there's a trend um, in social media in the way the game is kind of shifting uh, that we're using a lot more data, um, a lot more analysis to kind of back up what we're trying to trying to um, teach. Do you find like these newer age or younger age players are a little bit more receptive to that biomechanic piece and they kind of crave that? Oh, yeah, there's uh, well, there's two groups of athletes that you're talking about at that level. It's it's just younger players in general that are like like you said on social media, they're more informed than ever. They're more curious than ever. Um, but there's also like a huge Latin population at that level who mm-hmm. doesn't know who driveline is or Cressy mm-hmm. doesn't care. Um, right. but either way, they're both like relatively new to the organization. Younger guys are just like a blank canvas a lot of times and just more receptive in general. Whereas as you get up higher, obviously in the levels, it's, you know, people have their process. Once you get close to the big leagues, like there's a fear attached with change where, mm-hmm. hey, I'm, I'm successful now. Like, I don't want to change anything because if I change, that means not that they're afraid of change itself, but they're like, okay, anytime you make a change to a homeostasis of any kind of entity, there's a little dip, right? You have to make an right. adjustment. And then there's like, there's some failure associated with that. And so I think as they get closer to the big leagues and they can see it in the, in the future, they're more resistant to change. Whereas like these young guys, they just so far away that they're like, yeah, make a change to my swing. Like, yeah, yeah no doubt. Not, not a worry in the world. They, there's like, there's more time and there's, you know, there's more space. There's not as much pressure um, overall. So yeah, it's, it's, they're much more moldable in many mm-hmm. ways, reasons. Yeah. I mean, it's that concept of like, I got to the big leagues, right, doing what I did. You know, why can't I just continue to do that? Whereas we know, like, there's a lot of players out there that got to the big leagues, didn't have success, um, you know, weren't open to change, and then ended up fading back out in the lower levels or guys that did make that adjustment or change and really elevated their careers. Yeah, and you, and you got to be, like, I don't – somebody at the major league level or even double-A, triple-A is resistant to change. I just – I mean, I, I get it. Like, mm-hmm. I have to that again. It's like, there's a fear attached with it. It's not an arrogance. A lot of times it's a fear like, okay, I'm, I'm in the big leagues. Maybe I'm not being, I'm not having a great season, but I know if I make a mechanical change right now, I'm good. There's going to be some mm-hmm. fear with that, which means I'm going to ha- be even worse. So there's just, there's a lot of pressure at that level to perform or they're gone. And so making a change could could risk, you know, going back down. So I get it, and I'm empathetic mm-hmm. to that. And you, you don't blame them because it's sink or swim, obviously, there. So speaking of, like, the younger crowd, obviously there's a lot of noise on social media with, like, every coach in America, every coach at a training facility <laughs> in America throwing in their two cents about how you should hit, you know, what your focal point should be. If you go down to, like, the youth level in today's game, and you start throwing out terms like launch angle or exit velocity, it's probably going to get lost in translation to those guys. I would assume where do you, how do what would you recommend a starting point be for like 
the younger kids today, you know, like nine, 10, 11, breaking down their swing and going from there. A dad wrote me the other day on Twitter and he sent a video of his son and said, is this a good drill? And it was of his son using a rubber mallet to hit a ball <laughs> in his garage. And his son could not weigh more than 80 pounds, like just tiny little <laughs> weight. And I just like, I wanted to be nice and his dad cares. And I just said, look, your son looks like he's having a lot of fun and like, that's it. And he's hit it and he, was hitting <laughs> and he was hitting the ball as hard as he could. If you want to take it like literally granularly from like a physical standpoint, it's really important for kids that age to just like be explosive. And like, if, if I want, if I was going to give one piece of advice to a kid, I'd be like, hit home runs as far as you can. Just like, just hit it hard, be explosive, like train those, train, basically train the neural connections in that way when you're young as your body's developing. So your body adapts, your body at that point is just adapting and changing so fast that if you're doing those movements explosively or you're sprinting or you're jumping or you're, you're hitting a golf ball, like basically just try to hit that golf ball as far as you can. And, and that means you hit in the air, right? Like try to hit mm -hmm. the ball as far as you can. And that means you're going to hit in the air. Do I, do I really care about the mechanics? I probably wouldn't coach mechanics. The only thing I would say is, like, try to hit a home run. That's it. Like, as basic as humanly possible. I love that. More like more like result-oriented cues rather than telling them, like, yeah. you know. And, like, sprint. Like, do, like, be athletic as possible. Play other sports. I mean, that's all part of it, but be an athlete, gymnastics, like tumbling around, be, you know, don't be like a pitcher. Hey, <laughs> come on now. Just but yeah, kidding. no, that's, that's such, that's such good advice. Just because like, if you think of most sports, like baseball is really the only one where we talk about like suppressing that, that like maximum volume. Like, I mean, if you think of a sprinter, what are you going to tell a sprinter? Not run as fast as they can. Or a yeah. thrower, don't don't throw the javelin as far as you can. Um, yeah. So it's interesting right. to hear you say that that like at a young age you can kind of start pushing those movements and then maybe uh, uh, dial it in when they get older to more of like the breakdown and and kind of the specifics of the game, but kind of um, building that base at a young age. But if you and as a kid, if you just tell them, hey, hit the bar ball as far as you can, this is this is like a principle called constraints let it well not constraints that approach but basically like self-organization so if you tell a kid hey throw this as hard as far as you can their body is automatically going to organize to do that and so you don't even really have to coach mechanics mm -hmm. the, the thing where we get off is we say like we start coaching mechanics at a young age and then they're not throwing it as hard as they can because we've messed up their mechanics like they're natural the body will organize to accomplish a movement as efficiently as possible until you mm -hmm. tell it not to. Yep. Pull downs for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Let it. Pull downs. That's all I said there. <laughs> it's serious though. Let them be athletes. Let them get out there and be yeah. athletes. Um, yeah. So if you, if you, obviously the situation that we're in right now is super unique with like being away from the game and everything kind of on pause. But when you guys were at the complex, you talked earlier about um, like the game changing a little bit and you know people maybe they're on social media with a bunch of negative comments. And those are the people that are kind of, you know, out of touch with reality, in my opinion. But in terms of the game changing, and were you able to be around like Aaron Boone at all? 
because I, I feel like you have a lot of organizations in today's game that it's not a coincidence that the teams that are playing well year after year are the ones that are linked up with um, younger managers that have been there before. Um, I, I wasn't around him during spring training, but I did meet him at winter meetings and he was a blast. He was a blast. He was like yeah. very interesting to talk to, very engaging, very inquisitive with me, treated me really well and just had a, a really great conversation. Um, I mean, every interaction I've had with him has been positive, but I think it speaks to, yeah, the organization, like who they're going to put in a managerial position. You look at like, I mean, Gabe Kapler is, is an example. Are, are you guys familiar with him much? Yeah. So oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. he had a rough go with the Phillies and then was hired by the Giants, but it's just like, he's young. He's well, relatively young. He's, uh, out there. Like really out there, um, and that's the way baseball is moving. I, I think. I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's definitely a positive move. Where just catering, first of all, to like the way that the world is moving with technology. So from a from a tactical standpoint, but also like baseball in general, moving away from just this kind of like old school, you know, white collar. I'll say boring. Mm -hmm game to to Boone who's you know <laughs> who's turning up with like the, the t-shirts like savages in the box yeah <laughs> you know, Dave Kapler with his eccentric like workouts and craziness and you know things that people are attracted to want to watch want to listen to you know things that are a little bit out there I think it's the way the game is moving and I I, I hope I guess it's more of an optimistic view of I hope that's the way the game moves because otherwise, you know, the sport is going down. And mm -hmm. so um, I think that's the way we need to go. Some young, younger, fresher, not even younger, but just fresher opinions. Mm -hmm. Younger managers and keep juicing the balls and then we'll have <laughs> viewings up like never before. No yeah. doubt. <laughs> um, yeah, it's exciting. Well, Rachel, we appreciate you coming on. Um, super modest and you said that it wasn't you breaking a barrier but what you've done has been really impressive and it's it was cool to hear you talk not only about that but also kind of your role today so um thanks again for taking some time and hopefully we can talk down the road a little bit yeah absolutely i love what you guys are doing and i i love that you guys are staying in the game staying connected and bringing people together so thank you you bet thanks, thanks.